I welcome you to this Sunday after the Feast of the Ascension, and today we are setting our minds on the Ascended Lord Jesus, as we ought always to do, but it's especially on our mind today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we want to understand more fully the reality that our Lord Jesus Christ is seated with you in the heavenly places and that has changed everything. So would you, will you, by the work of your Holy Spirit, open our hearts, open our minds, enable us to receive the word of truth and see things more truly in Jesus' name. If you read online news, you read the paper or you watch the news or listen to the radio, it seems most Americans think this is a bad time to be an American. Uh, even from British commentators, I hear the concern that what it means to be an American is less clear today than at pretty much any time in our country's history. What, what an American is, is up for grabs. And in this instability though, we're in good company, pretty much, 100% of Syrians, Afghans, Iraqis, Sudanese think that it's a bad time to be Syrian, Afghani, Iraqi, Sudanese, Israelis and Palestinians. We know uh, they, they are saying the same thing about their nations. And despite economic improvements, China and India continue to see massive suicide rates in my reading of history, there are few moments that rival today in the blurring lines of nationality, ethnicity, religious confession, political boundaries. Uh, this is an unstable time. And America is not immune to the wider confusion of the shifting world. We are part of it. So it's in this atmosphere of moral, political, and social uncertainty that we declare the truth that saves the world. Jesus Christ is Lord and he is seated on the throne. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, above every name that is named not only in this age, but in the age to come, and all things have been placed under his feet, and Christ will come again. That's the truth that saves. This is the faith of the church that should clarify confusion for us, clarify, uh, cl give clarity to us amidst the confusion that we face. In light of this fact, we are forced to ask a question. And it's the same question that uh, Elijah posed to Israel when they sought to control their circumstances by worshiping Baal and going along with the nations around them. He said, how long will you go limping between two opinions? If Jesus is Lord, we, we pose, then follow him. If there's hope in some other way, some other name, then follow that. How long 
where we go limping between two opinions? And that, that's a question we need to consider. Now, the ascension itself, like the coronation of a new king or queen, is fairly simple. This reality that we are dealing with. We are told uh, by Luke that Luke 24, he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Forty days after he rose, after 40 days of teaching and guiding and speaking peace, Jesus walked with the disciples up the Mount of Olives, around to the east side, and he went into the heavenly realms. The motion is fairly straightforward. What's, what's so significant is what the ascension means. And the motion is it's fairly simple. He's there, and then he is, is in the heavenly realms. But what does it mean? Hebrews 10 explains, When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, then to wait until his enemies should be made a stool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This was the new reality that animated the apostles' teaching from the beginning. It was the way that they explained what was happening from Pentecost onward, which we will remember next weekend. As Peter taught on that first Pentecost, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, he said. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So we see the single most important truth of the apostles' message was that Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God and is both Lord and Christ. It's the foundational truth. Without it, nothing else of the gospel makes sense. The forgiveness earned by the cross, it comes because the one who died was the eternal Son of God. His forgiveness, the forgiveness of this person, has eternal significance and actually cancels sin, your and my sin, because He's Lord and Christ. It doesn't, it doesn't matter who else does or doesn't forgive sins. If Christ Jesus has forgiven them, they are forgiven because of who He is. No other claim has real authority. No other account of a person matters. No other account of you matters. So if the gospel of Jesus 
is that God now welcomes us in His family because of the blood of Jesus. The single most important motion of faith is to accept that Jesus is alive and ruling, able now to grant the forgiveness that we ask. So do you see that the question, the question that is sometimes asked, do you want to be forgiven and free, must also imply the question, do you believe Jesus is Lord with power and authority to actually forgive you? And, ha and having the willingness to do so. So, do you want to be forgiven? It, ha it has to precede, it implies there is one who is able to forgive you. As the church, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we declare this is the truth. Jesus is Lord with all authority, with all power, with all dominion, and the willingness to forgive uh, all who will ask it. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we reject the claims of every other power to any authority among this people, among us. But friends, you know that we're bombarded night and day, day and night by the allurements, by false narratives, by condemning barks, by the lying claims and the false hopes of the world, the false hopes of the flesh, the false hopes of the devil. But Jesus is Lord. There is life and hope and peace in no other name and no other pursuit. So we have to come back to that provoking question. How long will we limp along between two opinions? If Jesus is Lord, then we must follow Him. If there's life in some other way, follow that. As the apostles noted frequently, the ascension brought Pentecost. The reality of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit into the world, was and is contingent on Jesus seated on the throne. Uh, Jesus had said, if I don't go, he told them, I cannot send the counselor and the comforter. But if I do go, I will send him to you. So Jesus taking his throne as Lord of all heaven and earth, then issues in this work, his work of reclamation, reclaiming and restoring humanity one person at a time by the coming of his Holy Spirit. Throughout the, the medieval period, throughout the Renaissance West, uh, a favorite poetic theme uh, was the individual person. A, a favorite, uh, a, it's a conceit, they call it, a way of th thinking through a poem. It's the idea that, that an individual person, mind, body, and spirit, is a, a microcosmos, that is a little world. What's true of the whole world can be seen in an individual person. And we, we see, uh, we see common, a common reality uh, working at the world, working in the world at large through the little worlds that we are. So we can make sense of the bigger through the smaller. So like Hebrews says, now in putting everything in subjection to him, 
He left nothing outside his control. As it is, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So for to that metaphor, uh, the microcosmos, for the world at large, Christ has died and now rules. We see his kingdom bringing peace wherever his people gathered are faithful. He's over all. Wherever people yield to him, there's life and his kingdom of peace is evident. But in the little world that is each of us, the same is also true. So what is true of the larger, we can see in the smaller. The logos of God, Hebrews says, his true word spoken, his true word written, the word given to us is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no person, nor any thought or action of any person, no person, nothing in a person is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That's true of the whole world. It's true of us. It's true of you. So friends, if this is the case, if the Lord of all, Jesus Christ, has laid claim to the world that is you, it will be for your good to cooperate with his restorative work rather than resist his work. His spirit in you has set about rebuilding, revitalizing, renovating, reprioritizing. His command is that you bring all your means of self-protection to him. Bring all your resources of self-protection to him and give him charge. He has charge over the whole world. So you, little world, bring yourself to him. If this is true, if this is true, and it's true of you, then stop wavering between two postures. The, we can take confidence that the truth will always show itself eventually. So if you think that the real hope of mankind is in some vision of the state, or it's in some economic vision, or it's in a psychological state of well-being, then you should give yourself to that hope. Go all in. It is better to stop wavering. When you fear the loss of others' good opinion because of your allegiance to Jesus or for having a because you have a place among his people, if you fear losing others' good opinion because of that, you fear that more than the honor of Jesus, you are declaring that there is a better life apart from God. That, that is what you're saying to yourself. There's a, a life that's better apart from him than with him. So stop wavering. But if Jesus is your Lord, then and follow him. No longer be ashamed to put your hope in him 
Don't be like the double-minded man who looks in the mirror, then goes away and forgets his own face. If Jesus is your Lord, at 8 o'clock tonight, remember that you're still His. He's your Lord then. On Tuesday, on Thursday, on Wednesday, at 11, at 3, at 7, He's still the Lord. Remember it. When you're reading the news or you're listening to the radio, Jesus is yet the Lord. And whenever you can, in the next week, open his book. Open that word that pierces, that separates, that exposes us. And let the words do their work. They're the words of the Lord, the one who's Lord of all and Lord of you. Let his words do their work. Let them remind you that he's the Lord around you and he's the Lord in you. The more that you yield to the light of Christ, the more you will feel the light of Christ and you will change. And the more you receive his rule, the more you will love his rule and you'll love him. And I pray that. Father, would you enable us by your Holy Spirit sent from you and from the Son, enable us to love the ascended Lord Jesus, to love the fact of the ascended and ruling Lord Jesus. Enable us to love your ways and your word. Enable us to live at peace in your rule. In the name of Jesus, amen.